All right. So Matt, Michael asked me today, he said, what, what does inconsequential mean? And I said, don't worry, buddy. It's not that important. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the graveyard. Thank you for joining us tonight. My name is Adam. And my name's Matt. Now, pull up a tombstone or settle into your casket and get comfortable because this is Graveyard Tales. (laughs) All right, everybody, here we are again. Matt, how you doing tonight, brother? And I'm doing pretty good. Excellent. Excellent. So back at it after my vacation, it's good to be back and into the normal swing of the graveyard here. So um, we want to say go check out the Podbelly Network at podbelly.com. You can find a list of shows that we're happy to be associated with. I guarantee you there's going to be something on there that you will enjoy listening to. Also, while you're on the Internet doing whatever it is you don't want your spouse to see, go over to patreon.com slash graveyard tales. <laughs> And sign up to become a patron. We've got a bunch of bonus episodes for you guys. Our $10 a month patrons, they get a video version of us recording the episode. They get an ad-free audio version. And they get the normal weekly bonus episode that everybody gets, audio and video. So go over there, patreon.com slash graveyardtales, and check that out. Yeah, I mean, you're getting a ton of bonus content. Um, it's a lot of fun. It's, it's different than the main show. It's a lot more relaxed. Uh, so check it out. I, I, I'm positive you'll enjoy it. All right, Adam, let's take a minute and talk about one of tonight's sponsors care of. Now, if, if you're like Adam and myself, you take supplements to meet your health goals, mm-hmm. um, whatever it is you're trying to accomplish, Um, there's probably a supplement out there that can help you. But when you go to the the drugstore, the vitamin store, wherever, it can become so confusing because there's so many things. And you're not sure what you should be taking, and you're not exactly clear if this is going to help you achieve the goal that you're after. Well, Care Of helps with all of that. Okay? Care-of is a subscription service that ships high-quality, personalized vitamins, supplements, and powders conveniently to your door every month. So no more trips to the to the pharmacy. Mm-hmm. No more wondering, am I, am I taking the right thing? So if you want to change your life, if you want to meet new health goals, change some habits, with care of you get the tools and the motivation that makes it easy to build and stick with a routine as you move from the summer into fall and that's right care of makes taking your vitamins on the go so convenient as well because they have individual daily packs that are perfect for travel you can just do like we do and grab a few packs either for your day just take one pack Or like if you're going on vacation like we just did, you take one pack per day you're going to be on vacation, throw it in your bag, and you're set. Because before that, I was loading up big bags, like Ziploc bags of my bottles of supplements and vitamins. 
because like Matt was saying, I'm a huge supplement and vitamin taker. I try to eat well, but I also want to optimize myself by taking extra vitamins and supplements. And Care Of makes it really easy to do that. You just go on, take a short quiz. It asks you about your goals, what you want to achieve, and then it creates a plan and it says, here are the vitamins or here are the vitamins and powders and supplements that we think you should take. And I know for me, I wanted energy and mood support. Well, a couple of the things that they did was ashwagandha, like we've talked mm-hmm. about before, and vitamin right. D. Yeah. They said, hey, we'll try ashwagandha and vitamin D. So I did, and I'm loving it. And yeah. if you want to jump on the care of train like Matt and I, make easy vitamin taking a part of your daily routine, then you can do it. And all you've got to do to get 50% off your first care of order is go to TakeCareOf.com and enter our code GRAVE50. That's G-R-A-V-E-5-0. Yeah, you get 50% off your first care of order. Just go to TakeCareOf.com and enter our promo code GRAVE50. That's G-R-A-V-E-5-0. So, Matt, that's all the housekeeping I've got. So why don't you tell us, what are we talking about tonight, brother? Okay, so tonight um, we're going to be taking a look at, at something that is, it, it's it's really pretty cool um, that there's this much associated with it. Mm-hmm. And, and what it is, we're going to look at um, ghosts and hauntings that are related to the Titanic. Oh yeah. And now you may say what the Titanic's haunted, you know, it's what, you know, 13,000 feet, you know, down and just bear with me. You got to remember they pulled an awful lot of stuff off of that ship and they pulled a lot of personal items mm-hmm. from, you know, the victims. Yep. And those items are spread across a variety of museums and exhibits, and they may have had some sort of attachment. Mm-hmm. Because I was I was just having a conversation with my daughter earlier tonight, and I said, you know, I started naming off all the different museums and stuff, and I was like, they all have reported yep. some paranormal activity. Yep. And guess what? Each one has got hundreds of artifacts, you know, either taken directly from the ship or from the uh, the bodies of the victims. And I don't know why it would be hard for anybody to believe that these artifacts could be haunted. I mean, if you listen to our show, we've right. talked about so many haunted artifacts that had, I mean, way less of a traumatic end to the right. owner than what happened in the Titanic. Absolutely. And I mean, you're, you're really, you're really going to dig this one. I, I, it's, I'm speechless. I just, all the stories that we were able to uncover. Um, Ashley has been it, telling it's, me it's to do great. <laughs> Ashley has been telling me that we need to do the Titanic for a while. So she yeah. is going to yeah. really love this episode. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, it was, it was a lot of fun to research. 
Um, I learned a lot about the Titanic that I didn't know. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily about paranormal stuff, just right. about the Titanic and and the passengers. You know the the well known figures that were aboard. Yeah, the Titanic. It, it, it's it, it's amazing. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, look, I've seen the movie and I've read the books and I've been to one of the museums and I've, you know, and I still learned stuff oh, yeah. <laughs> doing all that. So, <laughs> oh yeah. And I mean, and one last year is the year before last, I helped Michael do a Titanic paper for school and I still yeah. learned stuff here that yeah. we did yeah. not put in his paper. So now, as we always say, go check our sources down at the bottom of the show notes. You can find where we found all this information. and. Like Matt said, there is a ton of stuff out there, ton of interesting, wild stuff that you were not taught in school. You probably didn't see in documentaries or anything that you can find if you do a little searching. So go down there, bottom of our show notes, check our sources. Now, there is no need for me to go into a long discussion of what happened to the Titanic because, sure, like I said, you either learned about it in school you watch the, the movie by James Cameron, or you've seen several of the countless documentaries about it. But I'm going to go over a brief synopsis just so we have it in our head as to what happened. Shortly before midnight on April 14, 1912, on the fourth day of its maiden voyage, the Southampton to New York trip, um, it was the greatest ocean liner in the world. And it, 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 they said it was built to be unsinkable, but it hit an iceberg and within two hours and 40 minutes broke apart and sank two and a half miles to the ocean floor. The sinking of the RMS Titanic was one of the worst peace, peacetime maritime disasters in history. And of the 2,223 people aboard the ship, only 703 survived. That is a huge loss of life. That's why oh, we yeah. that's why we still talk about it today. That's right. Now, but given the amount of time between the collision with the iceberg and the ship's total immersion underwater, you know, they said all could have been saved had there been enough lifeboats and had those lifeboats been filled to capacity. As it was, women, children, and the very rich fared that night probably what they call the dismal best. Now, 40% of first class was lost. 60% of second class was lost. 75% of third and the like percentage of the crew. So as in most cases, the Uber rich got first dibs. Yeah. Well, they were up there. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) They were already up there. The the third Um, class and the crew were down way down in the bowels of the ship. And and I, one of the things that that you know I had not really ever considered um, while doing this research was the survivors' guilt that yeah. that these these survivors had when they got home, and not only that, a lot of the survivors were shunned. Yeah. It's, well, I'd say mainly male survivors. Because when you I've when you knew got a little bit that? I've got a little bit about that. There is a oh per- cool. There's a particular passenger that was yeah 
very shunned because of what you're talking about now. Right. And other people, maybe they had lost friends or, or, or family, loved ones, you know, in, in the sinking, but they managed to survive and carry the guilt of why me, why did it have to be them? You know, why couldn't they still be here and me be gone? Mm -hmm. You know, that kind of, that kind of guilt eats away at you, you know, talk, talk to someone that's been in the military. Oh yeah. hundred percent. And that's, that's been through, you know, wartime or even just times of conflict and, and, and get a, get an idea of what survivor's guilt can do to a person. Yeah. Um, and, and this was at a time where, you know, they didn't even have a term for PTSD. Right. They certainly didn't have anybody that was actively trying to treat it. Sure. Yeah. So, yeah, it, I mean, th- this was a disaster that continued on well after that ship sank. Yep, exactly. Now, 22-year-old Charlie Shorney, he was a gentleman's valet. He paid eight pounds, one shilling to buy third-class passage aboard the Titanic. Now, he had planned to begin a whole new life in New York City. A fiancé was waiting there, and he would, with money raised on the family silver he carried with him, start a taxicab business in the city. Well, excited, he wrote a postcard from the Titanic to his father as the Titanic left Queenstown for New York. Said, hope you all well. This is the boat. She is a peach. She smashed into another boat leaving Southampton. There is a great vibration here in the stern. Shall be in Queenstown today. Get New York next Tuesday, so we'll write again later. See quite calm. Fondest love to all and hugs for puss. Well, Charlie Shorney went down with the ship and his body was never recovered. Hmm. But they do have his postcard. Now, what I thought interesting about that is he said it smashed into another ship as it was leaving the harbor. Yeah. Yeah. I don't remember. I don't remember reading about that. Nope. I don't either. <laughs> they they didn't mention that part. Um, now, keep that little. Oops, coming through. Yep, Stupid get driver. out of my way. Um, <laughs> they head to New York. They were driving like the taxi drivers in New York do. Yeah. Um, but keep that little bit in mind as we get further into this on what could bashing into another ship have done to the Titanic. Could it have damaged it? Could it have cracked it? Whatever. But just keep that in mind. Now, you may not know this, but there there is a 1912 silent film about the Titanic called, quote, Saved from the Titanic. So the James Cameron film was not the first. Saved from the Titanic was. It was starring a survivor of the Titanic named Dorothy Gibson, and it was released only a month after the Titanic sank. Man, talking about jumping on it. Quick turnaround on that one. Now, according to the Los Angeles Times, she even wore the same clothes in the film that she was wearing on the fateful night, a white evening dress, long sweater, gloves, and black pumps. Although some critics praised Gibson's performances, others said it was too soon to capitalize on the disaster. Unfortunately, like the real Titanic, saved from the Titanic was lost as well, 
all of the prints of the film are believed to have been destroyed by a fire at the studio in 1914. So it was only out and available for two years. It was a silent film. Yeah. And I mean, it it got, it got mixed reviews, which I think, (laughs) I think nowadays, if something like that happened now, you would not be able to do something a month later. Yeah. Like no, most people, I think, there there might be one or two that would go, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna be the first to do it. Get it out in a month. Nobody would produce it. Nobody would film it. No, nothing. Yeah, you couldn't. You couldn't even start to get the funding for a project like that. No, no. I mean, ima- imagine if they had tried to make a movie about nine eleven on nine a, a month uh, later. Ten eleven. Yeah. Yeah. You know, in October we've got this movie coming about. What? Yeah. No, no not way. a chance. No. Nope. But yet they they did that with this. I'll tell you what else is kind of amazing is they got her in the same outfit she was wearing yeah. on the ship. I, I I would have probably burned those clothes. No I would joke. have never wanted to see those clothes again. Nope. Nope. <laughs> I mean, really, that's just hey, me. But this is my bad luck dress. I'm not wearing this. No kidding. I'm not I'm not putting on these black pumps ever again. Yeah. I've said that before though, but that's a whole nother thing. <laughs> <laughs> never again never again dad gummit <laughs> all right so i've got a few interesting facts about the titanic that i thought we should talk about being that they're interesting facts i found them interesting so yeah. um now uh a person survived the sinking of both the titanic and her sister ship the britannic and i, I guarantee you people are going to know this story because it was pretty popular, but I have to say it again. Violet Constance Jessup may be the bravest ocean liner stewardess and nurse in history. Not only did she survive the unfortunate sinking of the RMS Titanic, but she also survived the sinking of her sister ship, the HMHS Britannic. Additionally, she was also aboard the RMS Olympic, their other sister ship, when it struck a protected cruiser. After the war, she continued to work for different ship liners. Years after she retired, Violet claims to have received a call from a woman who asked if she had saved a baby on the night of the Titanic. Violet replied, yes. And the woman replied with, quote, I was that baby. The person then hung up. Violet claims to never have told anyone that story before the, before the call. Miss Jessup, who was often referred to as Miss Unsinkable or the Unsinkable Miss Jessup, died of heart failure in 1971 at the age of 84. Can you imagine? Wow. You survived two ships sinking, a third getting hit, and then you just kept working as a nurse and stewardess on. After the first one, I wouldn't be back on another ocean liner. Nope. Nope. Not me either. I'd be like, I'm, I'm, my feet are going to stay on the ground. Yep. I'll, I'll be a nurse. I, at I'm port. not even going to go to the beach. No. No, no. <laughs> I'm going to move to a landlocked country. Yeah. I pushed my luck once by surviving the Titanic. I'm not going to push it again. She pushed it and, and overcame that several times. Now, not one single engineer aboard the Titanic survived the disaster. They sacrificed themselves in order to give others a chance to escape. So when the order came to abandon ship, it was far too late for the engineers aboard the Titanic to escape. They could not make their way through the confusing passageways deep in the heart of the Titanic, and many of them most likely did not try. 
They probably did not drown, but were instead crushed by the boilers and machinery that broke when the vessel sank deeper. They died carrying out their duty and sacrificed themselves so that others would have a chance at surviving. Now, this next one I got is what I was mentioned what I mentioned earlier when you were talking about people being shunned. Mm-hmm. The only Japanese survivor of the Titanic was condemned as a coward in Japan and lost his job. So uh Masu Masabumi uh Hosono was the only Japanese passenger aboard the Titanic to survive the disaster. When he arrived in Japan, he was condemned by the public for his decision to save himself rather than go down with the vessel. As a result, he lost his job, but was soon reemployed and continued to work until 1939. This says that, to be fair, a lot of the men that survived the Titanic were frowned upon because they were supposed to let women and children on the lifeboats first. However, Mr. Hosomo was the only survivor who reportedly lost his job as a result. Yeah. And, you know, there were, there are a lot of stories um, about women who refused to get on the lifeboats because they were scared. Mm-hmm. Uh, they didn't want to leave their partner. Um, what, whatever. I mean, there, there was a lot. I mean, you can imagine how fearful it would be. You're, you're, the ship you're on is sinking and you're out in the middle of the ocean. It's dark and you're going to get in a, an open air lifeboat. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty terrifying. I, I think I would have been able to overcome that. Oh yeah. Me too. Um, be like, it's either this or we're going down on this bigger one. Yeah. You know, at least if I get on this lifeboat, I've got a chance, you know, I got no chance mm-hmm. if I stay aboard here, but you know, fear and panic, it, it, it does weird things to people. So it wasn't so much that, you know, people had this idea that these men were pushing and manhandling these women and taking their spots on the lifeboat. That wasn't necessarily the case. Mm -hmm. You know, if you had a lifeboat that had a spot and there was nobody left to take it, why wouldn't you take it? Right. And and that was the story from several of the male survivors. But despite that, the idea was still, yeah. Well, you you're just a, you know, you're you're a bad guy because you came back, right? And there were women and children that didn't, you know. You know so that's hate, on you. All of a sudden, I hate to say this, but I might be one of those putting on a dress and pumps and <laughs> hopping on that thing, going, "Get me off this boat." Never again. Yeah. <laughs> See, that's the thing. Never again. <laughs> so apparently finding the Titanic was a front for a Cold War mission. So explorer Robert Ballard explained that looking for the Titanic in 1985 was actually a cover for his recently declassified mission to explore two sunken nuclear submarines. Mm-hmm. Ballard, who wanted to find the Titanic wreck, secured the funding from the U.S. Navy in exchange for completing research on the USS Thresher and the USS Scorpion, which coincidentally were located in the same general area. Plus, the search for the Titanic provided the perfect cover story. Quote, they wanted me to go back and not have the Russians follow me because we were interested in the nuclear weapons that were on the Scorpion and also what the nuclear reactors were doing to the environment. 
So Ballard told CNN in 2018, the secret mission left him with only 12 days to find the Titanic afterward, which we all know he did. Yeah. If you ever want to see something cool, go back and watch the interviews with, with Robert Ballard after this happened. mm -hmm. I mean, he, he is a pretty cool individual and him telling this story of how they did this. It's, it's incredible. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's, you're, you're thinking, you know, oh, well, he's just, he's just another one of these explore guys. Nope. I mean, he went out there, he knew what he was doing. He had to get out there and do two jobs under the guise of only doing one. Right. And, and he did it. Yeah. So, I mean, he, he's you know <laughs> pretty impressive. <laughs> I, I wouldn't say most of the world can barely do one job. That's <laughs> right. So, It'd be me, yeah. me. I can, I can do one. Yeah. You know, I, it's I, like the old, the old. Uh, uh, what's his name? Ron Swanson from Parks and Recreation. Mm-hmm. You know, he said, "Don't, don't half-ass multiple things. Whole ass one thing." Yep, exactly, <laughs> exactly. And I actually used that that saying at my previous job. I'm like, yeah, I whole ass a lot of things here, guys, but. You'll know when I half ass. <laughs> so here's here's another like interesting fact that adds some credence to the hauntings. The Titanic site may hold human remains. You know, we don't think about that. We mm-hmm. we we think about it being a desolate vessel and everybody came off the ship and died in some other way. Well, it says another reason why some experts argue that the wreckage of the Titanic should be left alone is because the ship could be considered a final resting place and gravesite. Of the 1,500 people who died, only 340 bodies were recovered, with 1,160 remaining lost at sea. And although no one has actually seen human remains at the wreckage, photographs released in 2010 show clothing and laced-up shoes in positions that suggest bodies once lay there. It's also possible, reports the New York Times, that preserved corpses remain inside the ship itself, where modern explorers can't see. But experts haven't come to a consensus on the issue. So I would assume, just in my humble, weird opinion, that the Titanic itself, if we had the ability to be down there more often, mm-hmm. we would notice haunting activity there. Yeah, I, I think so too. Not I, just the artifacts, but... Right. I I, th- I think that it's very likely that there are human remains I think somewhere it's more likely on board than the not. ship. Right. Um, I mean, I, I think if they ever were able to get down there and fully explore the ship, if they found nobody... That would be the weird thing right. to me. Yeah. You yeah. know, it, it it's not weird that there were actually be the bodies of these victims still on board. The weird thing would be is if there wasn't. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I realize it's, it's, you know, it's been a really, really long time. The sea is going to take its toll. Sure. Um, but it's really cold, too. It's really cold, so it's going to slow that. But, you know, look. O- ocean life cleans mm-hmm. up messes. Crabs, lobsters, anything yeah. like that. 
you know, so anything that would be exposed to the the living sea creatures, mm-hmm. they're they're going to handle it. Yep. I mean, that's just that's just how nature works. Sure. So coming in, you know, a hundred years later, um, and, and and with the expectation that you're you might find significant human remains. I'd say that's very likely, but you could find the evidence that they were there. Um, you know, probably, you know, bones or something like that. Um, but the fact that it's all there would kind of lead you to think, you know, the the spirits of these folks mm-hmm. may may still be attached, yep, you know, to this. Yep, exactly. So let's look at a few survivor stories real quick. Now, Eliza Gladys Dean, who everybody called Milvina for some reason. I don't know (laughs) the story. It doesn't match any of her other names. Have you noticed that? That, you know, when we're talking about people from like the turn of the century, you know, 1900, um, they've they've got nicknames that had nothing to do with their name. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. it wasn't like. Oh, well, that guy, we, we called him cheese. You know, he was old cheese Johnson. Mm-hmm. No, it wasn't like that. It was like, yeah, that guy's name, that guy's name was Fred Thompson. Yeah. Every, everybody called him Gary. Yeah. Why? Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I could understand, like you said, if there was an attribute, like he loved something and yeah. he nicknamed him that, or like I did with my buddy who is a giant human being. He, I mean, he could be part giant, like we just talked about recently, but I call him Shrek (laughs) because he's big like an ogre and Milvina to me, I I don't, maybe there's a story that we don't have. Gotta be. (laughs) But Milvina doesn't work. But anyway, Milvina holds a special honor of having been both the youngest passenger on board the Titanic when it sank as well as the last living person to have survived the disaster. So when the ship went down in April of 1912, she was just two months old. So Dean and her family never intended to board the Titanic. They had intentionally booked passage to the United States on another ship, but a strike forced them onto the luxury liner instead. They were third-class passengers, and because they were immigrating to Kansas, everything they owned was in their luggage. It was Dean's father who saved them. He had been on deck at the time of the collision, and he knew something went wrong. He rushed to help his wife dress the children and get them on deck. Quick thinking that put them at the front of a growing queue of people scrambling for lifeboats. As third-class passengers, they were at a disadvantage, but Dean, her brother, and her mother got on board. Dean's father never made it off the ship. After that, there seemed little point in going to Kansas, so the Shattered family joined a number of other heartbroken Titanic survivors aboard the RMS Adriatic, bound once more for England. On that gloomy voyage, the young Dean became a minor celebrity. She was a symbol of hope. Other survivors were pleased to see that uh, the baby had been saved, and the crew took turns holding her. Many took photographs with her, that later appeared in newspapers. So that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Now, Frederick Fleet, a British sailor, was just 25 years old when he signed on as a crewman on the Titanic. 
He was one of the five lookouts on the ill-fated voyage, and it was Fleet who made the famous call on the bridge Iceberg right ahead. At 10 p.m. on the night of April 14th, he took the he took to the frigid crow's nest with his watch partner, a man named Reginald Lee. The departing team warned them to look out for small bits of ice in the water, a difficult task on a moonless night. At 11.39 p.m., with just 20 minutes left in his shift, Fleet spotted an iceberg suddenly off the bow. Panicked, he rang the bell and notified the bridge. By the time his shift ended at midnight, people were already swarming to the lifeboats. So he was ordered to row lifeboat six, the same one occupied by the unsinkable Molly Brown, who was another lady mm-hmm. that I didn't bring up, that she survived multiple um, ship sinkings. And his group got to safety on the nearby RMS Carpathia. So Fleet's reception on land was mixed. Though he had spotted the iceberg, his role in the sinking became the subject of a number of inquiries. The world wanted to know whether the disaster could have been avoided. Fleet always insisted that he could have prev- that he could have prevented it if he'd just had binoculars, something the Titanic's watch crew had asked for and been denied. And we'll talk about that more here in just a minute. But yeah. as he reached old age, he suffered from depression and ultimately committed suicide in 1965. There were there were several cases of that. Yeah. So one more uh, survivor story here. Charles Lightroller. As the lifeboats were launched, second officer Charles Lightroller observed the, quote, women and children first rule so aggressively that he sometimes let lifeboats go into the water with empty seats rather than let any men occupy them. But whatever people said about Lightroller and the tragedy's aftermath, they couldn't call him a hypocrite. The second officer intended to go down with the ship and very nearly did. He was on the Titanic as it slipped underwater. At the bitter end, when there were no lifeboats left, feet below the surface, he was trapped against a grate when the ship's boiler exploded, sending up a blast of air that carried him to the surface. Afterward, he swam to an overturned collapsible boat where 30 or so people clung to life. He joined them showed them how to shift their weight to keep the big swells from sinking the ship and from swamping the their small craft. Uh, together, they survived the night, and Lightroller was the last survivor to set foot on a rescue ship that reached them at dawn. In the inquiries that followed the tragedy, it emerged that Lightroller's lifeboat policy wasn't as hard-nosed as it seemed. Doubting the strength of the lifeboat's davits, he intended to fill the remaining slots on the ship once they had safely reached the waterline. But the men assigned to the task drowned before they could open the lower doors, meaning some lifeboats sailed away with empty ships. In the aftermath of the sinking, Lightroller made a number of recommendations for better safety measures and tighter regulations that could prevent similar disasters in the future, and many of his suggestions are now maritime law. Wow. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I mean, you know, that that whole women and children first, I mean, you know, it was it was a big deal, especially to these these, um, you know, aged seamen. Mm -hmm. I mean, well, that sounded terrible. Yep. I was about to make a joke and decided even for Patreon, I shouldn't make an aged seaman joke. Right. So we're going to say 
Um, even even, even for seasoned crew. sailors. Yeah, there you go. That works. <laughs> Age. <laughs> the Lord. Man, quit saying it because I'm going to have to say my joke, and I can't. <laughs> I just can't. Just um, imagine a very naughty joke right here. Yeah. So I've got a few Titanic mysteries that I want to get into that I Matt and I were discussing some of these before we turned on the mics. Yeah. There's some of these that I don't know if you know, Matt. I didn't know these prior to doing this research. Some of the ones we talked about, I knew, but there's some interesting ones here. So was it even the Titanic? This is one that we talked about. Everyone yeah. agrees that a luxury liner set sail on April 10th, 1912 and sank five days later, taking the lives of around 1,500 of the 2,223 people aboard. But that's pretty much where the consensus ends. Some insist the ship that sank wasn't the Titanic, but rather the nearly identical RMS Olympic. As the story goes, the Olympic had been damaged in an accident the year before, but in order to score a bigger insurance payoff, the ship's common owners passed off the Olympic as the Titanic and then deliberately sank it. While there are lots of holes in the, this Titanic theory, serial numbers found on parts of the ship that didn't sink actually support that theory. Man, well, how how freaking evil would you have to be mm-hmm. to sink a ship purposefully with 2,200 people on board? Yeah. You know, men, women, and children, you know, crew and, uh, you know, musicians, you name it, just to collect a bigger insurance check. That's the, that's the only thing that kind of makes me go, ah, God, are they, you know, are, are people really that bad? You know, could you just literally decide a death warrant for that many people and not I, think I, twice? I hate to think that they could be that evil, but, you know, yeah. humankind His, has. History some, shows that yep. there have been people that evil. Yep, exactly. You know. So, and we'll, we'll get into that evil nature here again in a minute. But did a fire actually seal the ship's fate? A recent documentary offers credible evidence that the Titanic, uh, let's, they say let in this article, they say, let's just call it that for argument's sake, um, had been damaged by a coal fire, which had been raging for three weeks before the ship even set sail. So the damage would have weakened the hull of the ship, thus hastening the ship sinking when it collided with an iceberg. My, so it was it was already problematic. Yeah, there was a a, a, a three week coal fire that had been burning, yeah. and it damaged the interior structure of the ship. My problem with that is they make it sound like it was still burning when it was sailing away. How would you not see the smoke coming out of the ship? You know, wouldn't that be something that it wouldn't right, even show up yeah. in? video and pictures that we could see today, but I don't know. So another one is why was the captain speeding for decades? People believed that captain Smith was speeding through the iceberg heavy waters of the North Atlantic because he wanted the Titanic to cross the Atlantic faster than her sister ship, the Olympic. But in 2004, the geological society of America 
published an academic paper by engineer Robert H. Uh, Essenhigh with a different theory. It claimed the real reason that the Titanic's captain was speeding was to burn coal as quickly as possible in order to control the coal fire that we just talked about. How does that work? I guess so that he's pulling coal from the coal that's burning and throwing it into the boilers. Okay. So it's getting used up in the boilers rather than burning the ship down. And in order to do that faster, he was speeding through the thing. Yeah. Go the faster he goes, the faster he's burning up that coal. Right, right. Another one is did a torpedo sink the Titanic? Most believe that the Titanic sank after hitting an iceberg on April 14th. Um, but not everyone. Some think that the Titanic was torpedoed by a German U-boat. This theory doesn't seem all that far-fetched considering that three years later in 1915, a German U-boat did sink a passenger ship, the Lusitania. However, it's possible that torpedo theorists are confusing the Titanic with the Lusitania. It's also possible that they're confusing the Titanic with the Olympic, which had sustained damage after colliding with a military vessel in 1911. Still, the presence of several other ships in the vicinity of the Titanic sinking leaves the question open. Yeah, I mean, you know, I could see where it's a possibility. Yep. I think I think I like that theory more than the the it being the Olympic for the uh, insurance money. Mm-hmm. Yep. I mean, you know, that's, I, that's easier to deal with. I think I could I can wrap my head around a U-boat, you know, sinking a cruise liner like that. Yep. So the next one is, was there even an iceberg? Assuming the Titanic didn't collide with it and wasn't torpedoed by another ship, it's safe to believe that it hit an iceberg, right? Well, not necessarily. Professional mariner Captain L.M. Collins maintains that if the Titanic had hit an iceberg, it would have gone down in mere minutes. Instead, Collins and his followers believe that the Titanic must have hit a hidden flow of pack ice that had made its way into the Atlantic from the Arctic Ocean. Collins points out discrepancies in eyewitness accounts, which may actually be due to various natural optical illusions. Hmm. So he's basically saying if it hit an iceberg, it would have just sunk. But the way that it tore the side of it open seemed more like pack ice and not an iceberg. Now, why you would hide that and say it was an iceberg, I have no idea. Yeah, it doesn't make it doesn't make a lot of sense. Plus, I, you know, I wouldn't be able to, you know, know what the difference is if you were looking at a ship's wreckage and saying, oh, well, this looks like it was caused by pack ice and not by an iceberg. Like, well, how how can you tell? You know, it is damage is damage. Seems like if it hit, it hit something big made of ice. Mm -hmm. Right. And and this ship that was supposed to be unsinkable sank. And I, I just, what, what made it so unsinkable? I mean, why, why did that? Was it just, it was reinforced or, you know, it was supposedly the, um, the interior of the ship was cordoned off into sections that had doors 
going between right. the sections. So if yep. one hole, say a hole got ripped in the side of it, like what happened, then theoretically it would only fill up one chamber with water and not all the bottom of the ship and sink it. So they could, they, that yeah. So like what well, kind of the way they design it today, you know, it's like you've got sections with those, the big heavy doors that you can close mm-hmm. and turn the wheel, you know, yep. <laughs> I guess. But I mean, I, one of, one of the theories is that those doors were left open huh. and not closed. So that's why it sank is because once it tore open with the doors open, it just filled the entire bottom instead of only one chamber. Yeah. And I mean, well, what if it filled up so quickly that they couldn't get the doors closed? Well, they were supposed to sail with them closed. Oh, like you Hmm. weren't supposed to have them open at, at all. Once you set sail, you closed all the under deck doors that were in the storage and thing. And if you had to go through one, you went through it, closed it behind you, then went to the, like you do in an aviary, you know, so the birds don't get out. So I can see where that would be a pain in the butt. You know, Mm -hmm. you're going back and forth between areas of the ship and you're having to constantly open up this sealed door, go through, close it, you know, do yep. all this stuff. It's taking you a lot longer. You know, I, I could see where somebody, a crew member might say, just, it ain't going to hurt nothing. Just leave this door open. We're going to come through it 10 more times. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. So we talked about the crew not having binoculars. Why? Well, Surely, this says if the crew had binoculars, they would have seen the danger in time to change course. But the Titanic's entire supply of binoculars was locked away in a storage compartment. And a crew member who had been transferred off the ship just before it set sail had the key. The crew member later claimed that he, quote, forgot to hand over the key. But did he forget or did he deliberately hold on to it? And if so... Was it to further the insurance fraud that we talked about, or was it something else entirely? Now, see, that makes me think, okay, you're, you're, you're gambling here. Um, if, if you think, if I don't give them access to binoculars, they're going to have a, they're going to sink. They're going to hit something and sink. Uh-huh. Uh, well, that's kind of a crapshoot to me because yep. it could have just as easily made it all the way. Yeah, exactly. With no problem at all. And so I don't, I can't, I can't imagine, you know, one individual going, yeah, I'm just going to hang on to this key. You know, even if he had been approached or even paid by mm-hmm. somebody, I, I just think that's, that'd be like, I'm I'm going to I'm going to put this I'm going to put this thing right here in the hopes that somebody comes by and trips on it or yeah sets it off or whatever somebody you know? playing a Bigfoot prank out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, we talked about that, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. You know, why why would why would if this is a prank, why the heck are you out here in the middle of the night in the middle of nowhere just yep. on the off chance that somebody was going to see you. Yeah. Yeah. That, there, that seems it's interesting that that happened, that they didn't have access to the binoculars. Mm-hmm. It doesn't seem necessarily, um, you know, malevolent in nature. There, 
to me. There's more to sailing a ship than binoculars. True. <laughs> I mean, so another one, and I'll wrap it up here in a second, but did J.P. Morgan plan the whole thing? So some who believe the Titanic took the place of the damaged Olympic blame uh, financier J.P. Morgan, who was one of the owners of the company that owned both ships. Morgan was one of the wealthiest people on the planet at the time, and he wielded considerable power. In addition, he was a last-minute no-show on the Titanic's sole voyage. Why did Morgan and his entire family not end up on the ship? Did he know what was going to happen? Did he plan it? Hmm. Again, that just makes somebody out to be extraordinarily evil. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. I mean, you know, so, I I laugh because I just I I can't I cannot get my head around somebody being that horrible. Right. Well, my last one here that I'll do is people being that horrible. Mm -hmm. So was it a murder plot? Well, some people believe the sinking had nothing to do with insurance money, but rather that J.P. Morgan engineered the sinking to kill off his rivals, Jacob Astor, Isidore Strauss, and Benjamin Guggenheim, all of whom perished aboard. But how did Morgan plan to pull it off? Well, neither the insurance theory nor the murder theory takes that into account. What else would Morgan have needed to do in order to ensure his planned success? Yeah. So, I mean, a lot of these, they're interesting to think about, but they're, they're hard to wrap your head around that, oh, he may have wanted to kill people, so he sank a whole ship. I mean, it, it's hard to believe. It would seem like if that was your intent, you would have had to have done something to guarantee that they were going to have a problem and go Torpedoed down. by a U-boat, maybe. Yeah, something like that. You know, not rolling the dice and going, man, I really I really hope they, uh, they hit an iceberg and sink because that would take care of my competition. I mean, that's just kind of a... You know, if if you're really that bad and you wanted your competition dead, you know th that's a that's a big gamble to there's just you know. Ways, oh, I hope it sinks. Yeah, there's quicker ways that are guaranteed and wouldn't result in that much life lost. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, it, I mean, why? I I don't I don't see that it could have been a murder plot. I could see where it's interesting to talk about it because of all the yep. the high profile names involved. But yep. you know, so understanding that there is so much more to the sinking of the Titanic than just a, an ocean liner hitting an iceberg. Um, let's get into some of the the paranormal activity that has been associated um, with artifacts uh, and and even the the staff and crew members of the Titanic. Now, this is going to cover several different locations. Okay. And you're, you know, I'm, I've tried to make it where you can kind of follow it. Um, but just understand there was, there are permanent exhibits, there are museums and there have been traveling exhibits that mm -hmm. contain Titanic artifacts. And that's just in the U.S. 
Right. Okay. Right. So there are other there are other museums and exhibits uh, in Europe, um, but we're just we're going to focus on the ones in the U.S. tonight. So the first one we're going to talk about is the Titanic: The Experience, um, which was a big a- uh, exhibition um, that included some really strange and unexplainable events. So, you know, this is one of these exhibits where it, they have any, anywhere from three to 400 um, artifacts taken from the ship, parts of the ship, um, you know, clothing from passengers, um, furniture, portraits, things like that. Um, a lot of people felt like during Titanic, the experience that the spirits of passengers and crew members were reaching out from the other side. And, and some feel like it was just their minds playing tricks on them. I mean, understand that the, the exhibit is designed to give you the impression that you were a passenger on the Titanic. So Mm -hmm. there, there is some, um, some illusion to it. Um, now this, uh, this comes from Carrie Drake, uh, who was the general manager of Titanic, the experience. And she says, I am a skeptic and encourage visitors of the Titanic, the experience to prove me wrong. I have personally experienced odd encounters here at Titanic, the experience, which have no explanation. It seems the ship and its former passengers and crew have a few more secrets left to reveal. And again, that was Carrie Drake, who is uh, one of the general managers of Titanic, the experience. Uh, Joe Zimmer, who was an actor and exhibit manager. He talks about a heavy chain from the ship that was securely encased in one of the exhibits. Now, during an interview, he pointed out that the bottom link of the chain was swinging. And Zimmer Mm. claimed that the chain only moved when the staff were around it discussing paranormal events. (laughs) So, I mean, essentially you've got something that is enclosed to where people can't touch it. So like a glass case and it just kind of starts moving on its own. Yeah. You're kind of looking at it going, Hmm, what's making that thing move? (laughs) Yeah. Now we did a, a Titanic, I can't remember where it was, but uh, me and Ashley and Michael did some kind of um, Titanic thing where you walk through and like you can see some artifacts and mm-hmm. uh, feel how cold the water is. Mm-hmm. And I don't think I've ever told you this, Matt, but there was a part where it's supposed to look like you're standing inside the windows and looking out onto the deck of the ship. And then mm-hmm. if you walk out, you're on the deck of the ship. Right. Yeah. So there was actual windows in between that. Mm-hmm. We walked out, you know, looked out the windows. We walked out, we came back in, we looked and there were handprints on the window. Ah, yeah. So, we're going to talk about that. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. I, I just like that all came into my memory when uh, you were talking about the experience. Yeah. Because yeah. I, rem- I remembered we did something like that, and it freaked me out. The one I went through, God, it was forever ago. And I can't remember if it was 
if it was at the Georgia Aquarium or if it was at the one in the Smoky Mountains uh, that had a a, a Titanic exhibit going on mm-hmm. while uh, while we were there. But yeah, we saw a lot of really cool stuff. It wasn't like that. What you're talking about was more like Titanic the Experience and more like what the the exhibits that the museums have now. Yeah. Where you can actually walk out. They have, you know, rooms and, and models of the deck that you can actually get on. Um, yep. I think it's the one in Branson. They said it was, it's built to half scale. Oh, um, yeah. Yep. You know, so you can really, really get a, sen- a sense of, of what it was like to be on board the ship. What was crazy to me is how cold the water was. Like oh, you yeah. feel that, that they've got something chilled to that water temperature. And like, dude, I'd die quick if I ended up in that water. Oh, yeah. Um, Amanda would never make it. You know, she, oh, I, I, she can't, she can't get in our swimming pool if it's like, yeah. it's I'm like, maybe it's only, it's 86 degrees in here. It's too cold. I'm not getting in. <laughs> yeah. Dude, we went to the swimming pool at our gym, uh, Monday, in fact, to do some laps and get a little exercise. It's indoors. And I, I had to take like three to five minutes slowly walking down into the deeper water because it was cold. Yeah. And I'm like. What is wrong with me? I can deal with the 110 <laughs> outside, but I get like a 80 degree, 75 degree pool water. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm dying. I'm yeah. dying. Yeah. Look, 75 degrees and you're surrounded by it touching you. That's pretty doggone cold. That's true. Yeah, that's true. But Zimmer also claims that orbs have been captured on camera around the replica of the grand staircase that travels with the exhibit. Others report the sensation of hair standing up on their necks while in the room that houses the ship's telegraph. Zimmer also says that while standing on the ship's deck, he saw the apparition of an officer in uniform. Oddly enough, the officer was only visible from the waist up. So it was essentially a torso apparition. Hmm. It had no legs. That's weird. At night... Uh, after the overhead music track had been turned off, Joe says he sometimes hears the sound of an orchestra playing. He has oh, heard wow. his name called, followed by spooky giggles, which I never, never, never call my name and then follow it up with spooky giggles. That's no, <laughs> no, no. Don't even call me spooky giggles. That's right. <laughs> That's your new nickname is spooky giggles. <laughs> But he also says that he has felt an invisible force tussle his hair and grab the back of his jacket. So, I mean, these are these are things that we have heard from other people that work in museums that are, you know, supposedly on it. Yeah. Now, Titanic, the artifact exhibition opened in the Luxor in Las Vegas, Nevada in 2008. And it is it is a permanent um, exhibit, I do believe. You can still visit it. I looked it up. Um, but some people there have had some pretty interesting experiences. So much so that they include ghost tours on Saturdays in October. Hmm. Now, this exhibit houses over 300 items from the sunken ship and 
essentially is ground zero for all of the unexplained phenomena. Visitors and staff alike supposedly frequently feel, uh, frequently have strong feelings of being watched or followed, as well as hearing disembodied voices or footsteps. Sometimes they have the feeling of they're being poked or prodded or even pushed by unseen hands. In addition to the sightings of shadowy apparitions lurking in the halls and corridors. Now, one of these tales tells the story of the lady in black. Now, the lady in black is often seen on the grand staircase crying out for her famous friend, Margaret Brown, which is the unsinkable Molly Brown. Yeah. There was there is a story about a photographer who was prepping for the opening of this exhibition at the Luxor. And he saw a woman casually walking down the grand staircase. Now, he was kind of startled because he said he had not seen anyone walk in earlier and the staircase was roped off. So Hmm. he just assumed that she was a part of the exhibit, you know, one of the actors and asked if she'd like him to photograph her, but she ignored him. So he went back to setting up his equipment. Yeah. Rude, rude ghost. Um, but he just, he went on about his business and suddenly he noticed that she was standing directly behind him. So kind of startled, he offered to take her photograph again, but this time, instead of ignoring him, she vanished right before his eyes. That's wild. Yeah. Now, in addition to seeing a woman in period clothing on the stairs, employees have also heard the sound of children, and they have reported the sound of an orchestra playing. You know, and that's, huh. you know, the famous story about the the orchestra playing, uh, was it Nearer My God to Thee? You know, yeah, as the ship went down. down. Yeah. 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 Now, Adam mentioned this gentleman earlier. Frederick Frederick Fleet. Now, as Adam said, he was the Titanic's lookout, but his ghost has been spotted watching over the exhibition's promenade deck, trying uh, supposedly trying to write his late sighting of the iceberg. Hmm. So, you know, Fleet Fleet's ghost, you know, is sticking around there. Now, another passenger predicted the sinking of the Titanic when he wrote to a friend a few days before he perished in the North Atlantic. He said, quote, right now, I wish the Titanic were lying at the bottom of the ocean. Hmm. All right. During a paranormal investigation of the exhibit, staff reported a story that occurred in the engine room. Now, this is really, this is really a cool story. Okay. There was a picture of Bruce Ismay. He was the chairman and managing director of White Star Line, which is the company that built the Titanic. Right. Now, this portrait of Ismay hangs on the wall in the engine room. Now, Ismay was on board during the Titanic's maiden voyage and ended up surviving. But uh, once that, uh, that it's a three foot by two foot portrait. That's a big portrait. As they were coming in one morning to open the exhibit, the picture was on the floor. Okay. As if someone had taken it down and then leaned it up against the wall, sitting it down on the floor. It wasn't like, 
face down or smashed or anything else. Yeah. But it certainly didn't look like it had fallen. Now, Hmm. initially thinking that it somehow had fallen or one of the staff members was pulling a prank, the staff went and reviewed the security video. Because either way, you're kind of like, we got to know what happened. Okay. If if one of our employees is pulling a prank, we want to know that that's all it is, is a prank. But we can't be having staff members taking these artifacts and messing with them. Right. And don't be touching that stuff. Leave right. it up. The, the security camera footage showed a clear view of the room and no one was in it when the picture started to move on its own and then slowly slid down the wall as if someone had grabbed it with both hands and lowered it to the floor. Freaky. Now, just before hitting the floor, it turned on its side, then it slid a few inches according to people who saw the video. Now, I looked. I couldn't find this video online. Um, I bet if you keep digging, you might could find it, but I didn't, I didn't have any luck. Right. Now, this happened. Uh, this story was related to a group of paranormal investigators just prior to starting their investigation. Okay, and this, huh. is, this is at the Luxor in Las Vegas. Um, so they tell them this story and then lock them in the engine room. Hey, <laughs> have fun. Good luck. So as the ghost hunt started, um, the investigators were all alone in this room with this haunted portrait. Suddenly an alarm went off and light started flashing and the alarm on one of the glass display cases near the picture of Bruce Ismay had been tripped. Now, the displays are fitted with motion detector alarms that sound when the case is touched or disturbed. And in this instance, the case had not been touched or disturbed. Weird. They weren't even over there. They just heard this story about this picture coming off the wall. Mm -hmm. And and now they're locked in the engine room. And one of the exhibits sets off the alarm. And they're like, yeah, this is a a great beginning to this uh, investigation. (laughs) Yeah, you're either stoked or terrified. Yeah, like there's no in between. So I mean, what what could it possibly be? I mean, are are we talking about you know the the spirits of passengers and crew um, that are somehow attached to these objects? Um, we don't know, but it it's not limited to just you know the Titanic, the uh, exhibition, or um, the Titanic artifact exhibition in the Luxor in Vegas, Ghost Adventures actually went and did an investigation at the Titanic Museum in Branson, Missouri. Hmm. Now, during their stay, they caught a figure they assumed to be a child on their SLS camera. If you remember, Adam and I, we've, we've talked about this. I think we did a Patreon on this uh, piece of equipment. It's like the old... Um, the what was it called kinetic or something for the xbox it was uh the it, connect yeah it was it was a camera that you could put on your xbox and it could it would um register your movements and as movements in in the video game mm-hmm. now paranormal investigators will use this camera because it will pick up a human form 
Okay. Even even like in map low the joints low, and like what? Map the joints yeah. on the arms and with dots and everything. So if you've never seen this, um I think the one of the one of the Teslas has this too. Um maybe, maybe. it has a front front facing camera and on the display it it looks like a stick figure with dots representing mm. the the joints. So in this particular video, what you see is kind of a triangular shaped body, legs with dots for the hips and the knees and the feet, shoulders, elbows, and hands, um, and kind of a line with a dot that represents the head. And you see this, and the arms are out to the side, and the the guys from the from Ghost Adventures thought that because of its size that it was potentially a child, but it appeared to be trying to balance up on the railing of of where they were, which was around the 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 deck and the windows that Adam described. Where I you can, can fly, yeah, Jack. You can walk out to the deck or you can go back inside and there's windows that would give you a, a visual of what's going on on the deck and out on the water. Now, at one point, after watching this for a few minutes, the, the figure just seems to jump out the window is what it, what it looks like. It just jumps out the mm. window. As they get closer and start examining this area, okay, they found fingerprints on the window the figure seemed to jump through. Now, mm. they claimed that they knew for certain that the museum staff had cleaned all the windows prior to their lockdown, and they felt like they had really collected a piece of significant evidence. Now. That's interesting. Yeah. I mean. Always take these shows, no matter what they are, with a grain of salt. But this, hundred percent, yep. this was very interesting, um, because just because they said the museum staff cleaned it uh, before their lockdown, th- there's no guarantee. But they could miss spot. I, I would, I would almost, I would almost bet that that actually happened. That they actually mm. cleaned all those windows because this would have been something that they did every day. If you had, you know, hundreds of tourists going through this exhibit in a day, somebody's going to touch something and yeah. there's going to be fingerprints and stuff. And if you, if you don't stay ahead of that stuff, it just gets awful. So every day, I'm sure that somebody went down and had a routine, had a little checklist and said, you got to clean the windows up on the deck. Um, and you got to wipe them down, Windex, whatever. So my my thought is, yeah, they probably were clean. No idea where those fingerprints come from, unless it was one of them that had done it. Yeah, could have been one of them. It could have been missed. Yeah. I mean, still, it, still pretty interesting though. How many times have you cleaned a window and then went back and looked at it a minute later and went, "Good lord, every I that stinking time." Yeah, and you've already put up the rag and the Windex. Yeah. And- every time. Every time yep. I clean glass, that's what happens to me. So moving now from Branson to Pigeon Forge, Tennessee. The Titanic like Museum. Yeah. The and if if you've ever been to Pigeon Forge in the last 
few years and seen this. It looks really cool from the highway as you're getting mm-hmm. off uh, I-40 and heading into Pigeon Forge. <laughs> to see this over on the side, you're like, holy cow, look at that. Yeah, right. You know, so, so yeah, the Titanic Museum in Pigeon Forge, um, they've captured some other, um, uh, uh, they've had some other experiences, let's say. Now, during a special Friday the 13th ghost hunt, several strange things occurred that they were able to get on video. And this was done by the crew. Adam and I have been on one of these weekends uh, with uh-huh. this organization, this ghost hunt weekend. Now, during one of those, uh, can you turn the light on and off kind of sessions, you know, um, one team member was able to communicate with an entity that responded by turning the lights off on command. And even weirder is that each time the spirit shut the light off, a scream could be heard in the darkened deck area of the exhibit. And it happens twice in the video that I saw. They're so impressed with the fact that this one of the investigators is counting down, turn off the light, I'm going to count down from three and you turn off the light when I, when I get to one and he goes three, two, one, bam, the light goes off after he says one. And then you hear the scream and they're all like, did y'all just hear that scream? Hmm. And then it happens again within, within a few minutes. And I mean, it was just, it's kind of weird. You know, when you, when you're watching on video, you can kind of see how surprised they are. When they yeah. hear that, um, yeah, I would have been that like, would, "Hey, it's time to leave." Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that would that would freak you out. <laughs> yeah, hear it screaming. Yeah, remember, always be more afraid of the living than the dead. Yep. <laughs> you hear a scream, oh! But later, that group is filming outside of an accordion-style gate. You know those the ones that slide back and forth. Mm-hmm. Um. And they're asking if there is a spirit present to knock and they would unlock and open the gate. Nothing happened. At least not that they noticed at the time. Now, after reviewing the video, which in the video, they're in a smaller room. There's probably eight, nine people kind of gathered in there. Okay. You can see the gate. That's kind of where everything's focused. But then the camera pans across the group of investigators and you see this dark figure emerge from behind another person in the back of the room and begin to walk towards the door. And I don't mean like it's one of those, Oh, do you see it? You see it? Look real close. Okay. Right here. No, it is. Holy crap. What is that? I mean, it is that clear. Um, you know, could something like that be faked? Sure. Uh, but nobody in that room reacts to it almost as if they didn't, they didn't see it. And, and, uh, they said they, they saw it later when they were looking at the video. Um, but it's definitely a figure. Okay. It is, it's not a shadow. It's, it is definitely a figure that, you know, you see a head shoulders and looks like it's walking towards the door. Those Shadow figures like that are so creepy. Like, just, I mean, it's as bad as hearing the the creepy giggles. Yeah, from 
another room. Good old it's, spooky giggles. Spooky giggles. That's it. Spooky um, giggles, Ballinger. But seeing the uh, seeing the big shadow figure slowly moving, that's that'll make the hair stand up on the back of your neck. Yeah, it's um, it's it's pretty interesting video. Now let's talk about some places that aren't necessarily directly connected to the Titanic, but they are connected to people that died on the Titanic. So the first one is the Jane Hotel. Now, when the U.S. Senate inquiry inquiry was in New York for three days before moving to Washington, D.C., approximately 100 or more of the crew stayed at the Jane Street Hotel, which at the time was known as the American Seamen's Friends Society Sailors Home and Institute. Imagine having to paint that on a sign. Yeah, imagine having a business card with that on it. <laughs> well, the name yeah. takes up the whole front. Yeah, that's right. My info's on the my back. My name's on the back. <laughs> now, these guys, they were undoubtedly devastated at the tragic loss of their colleagues, and perhaps some of them were close friends. The building itself was designed by William A. Boring in the Gregorian... In, in the Georgian style and was constructed between 1906 and 1908. Now, boring, interestingly enough, was the same architect that designed the Ellis Island immigration station. Hmm. Okay. So, I mean, it's pretty well-known figure. Now the crew members were given clothing, food, and a room to stay in once they arrived at the hotel. And these guys were in bad shape. I mean, this is like, we we have just gotten back, you know. We, you know, we're we're gonna have to answer some questions about what happened. This is the crew, mind you. Yeah. Um. So they they put them up in this this hotel that was for sailors. Um. Like I said, they're they're in bad shape. And they'd just been through this horrific ordeal. Um. The surviving crew members had a special memorial service at the Jane Hotel to honor those who perished on that cold April night. They sang Nearer My God to Thee uh, with a, quote, mighty roaring chorus. And many of the crew still held out a glimmer of hope that by some miracle, there would be more survivors. But that wasn't the case. And even today, it's believed that the crew members have taken up residence in the halls of the old hotel. Now, guests that stay at the hotel have reported that these survivors never left. Now, the American Seamen's Friends Society Sailors Home and Institute remained in the building until 1944 when it was replaced by the YMCA. Now, during this time, the YMCA changed its name to the Jane West, which was considered a hotel for those down on their luck. During the 1980s, it was a hipster hotel. For the centennial anniversary of the building, it was renovated. It was a hotel before it was cool to be a hotel. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but eventually, uh, it was turned into a luxury hotel and renamed the Jane. Now, like the passengers, the surviving crew lost everything. Um, they weren't able to get anything off of the ship to take with them. So all of their belongings that they had when they got on board went down. Yeah. 
But now they found themselves in New York City with nothing more than the clothes on their back. And sadly, the memorial service, which was held to mourn the loss of the RMS Titanic, her passengers and crew didn't rest those people's spirits. There are reportedly cold spots all throughout the building. Many guests have reported experiencing problems with the elevator and claim that it will occasionally go up and down completely on its own. While walking the halls, guests have reported witnessing transparent figures, hearing sobbing, and what is described as unfathomable grief. The, mm. the sounds are stated to come from the surviving crew members who were mourning their lost colleagues, while others who have heard these sounds claim it is the spirits of the crew that survived and passengers who perished now have come to the Jane for their eternal rest. Mm. While on the third floor of the Jane, one guest saw an apparition of a figure in, a, in white through a porthole on a door. When the guest opened the door, the woman disappeared. But as soon as the door was closed, the guest saw the ghostly figure once again. So, like I said, this mm. was not di directly connected to the Titanic, but this was where those surviving crew members uh, stayed. This is where they were housed uh, during the uh, during the inquiry into what happened. There was still a big energy yes. release or whatever at that place. Yeah. So. so, so yeah, you had, like I said, this was still fresh. So you had the surviving crew members. They're still mourning. They're still kind of in shock. They they had a memorial service for all those people that all their their friends and colleagues that died. Um, so yeah, Adam's right. A, ton of energy pouring into this hotel just shortly after such a tragedy you know it 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 would have lent itself to hanging on to some of those spirits mm -hmm. now this one this one is is my absolute favorite okay and this is about captain edward john smith now captain smith was one of the victims when the titanic sank Smith's last words are thought to have been be British, which is a reference to the stiff upper lip in the face of impossible adversity. Smith's ghost has been seen in various places. In fact, Smith's ghost is one of the most frequently encountered. The first sighting of Captain Smith's ghost occurred before the world knew of the tragedy. Captain Smith's wife, Sarah Eleanor Smith was in her drawing room when the door opened. She watched her husband walk across the carpet towards the window. No doubt this was viewed as some surprise because he was supposed to be sailing across the Atlantic at the time. Mm -hmm. Moreover, he neither looked at her nor spoke to her. When he reached the window, Captain Smith simply disappeared. Oh, wow. It was way too early for the news of the Titanic disaster to have reached Mrs. Smith, but she knew. From the moment mm. she saw his ghost, she knew. That's crazy. I know. I know. What a, what a, I mean, that's just one of those give you cold chill stories. Yeah. 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 I like that one. That's wild. But Mrs. Smith was not the only woman in Southampton to be experiencing such strange phenomena. 
all over the city. Wives of sailors and other crew members told tales of waking in the night with nightmares or hearing their names called out. There were a lot of men reaching out for their loved ones on April 15th, 1912, as they sank to the bottom of the sea. Jeez. So, so, you know, imagine those voices, those cries of those dying men reaching their wives, reaching their families, and bringing them out of a dead sleep in some cases. Jeez. Yeah, pretty powerful. Yeah, it is. Now, another place where apparitions of Captain Smith have been witnessed is the Adelphi Hotel in Liverpool. Now, the hotel is a hist- has a history of paranormal activity and was once referred to as the most haunted hotel in the United Kingdom due to the high number of unexplained events. Now, the Sefton Suite in the hotel, it is claimed, is an exact replica of the first-class smoking room on board the liner. One paranormal investigator and author claimed to have witnessed three men dressed as naval officers standing at the far end of the room. The man believes the three men were Smith and two officers who were aboard during the liner's one and only voyage. And Captain Smith, if if you've seen pictures of him, he looks like, well... I, I'm trying to remember, but somebody, when I was a child, somebody had a a little statuette of a sea captain, and he had mm-hmm. the gray, close-cropped beard, real tight mustache, you know, that stern look. That's Captain Smith. I mean, if you were going to mm-hmm. say... Draw me a picture of what you think the captain of the Titanic looked like. Or just draw me a picture of a sea captain. That's him. I mean, yep. he is he is very sea captain looking. <laughs> I mean, he is a very distinguished individual. He's got features. So seeing his apparition, it's not hard if you can make out details that this is him. Well, and the guy who played him in James Cameron's movie looks very similar. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So if if you can only picture the James Cameron Captain Smith, that's very similar. Yeah. I think the, I'd say the real Captain Smith had a, maybe a, a bigger mustache mm-hmm. a little bit. It was more pronounced, but he did a good job in getting the resemblance. Yeah. And Captain Smith's ghost has also been seen at his former childhood home in Stoke-on-Trent, Staffordshire. Staffordshire, for all my friends in the UK, um, which is in central England. Smith lived at the home until he went to sea at age 13. His ghost has been seen in the bedroom drifting across the room by former residents. The owner at the time of the Titanic Centennial stated that one of their tenants rang them up one day years before to say that he was convinced he had witnessed Smith's ghost drift across the bedroom while he was in bed. The previous owners experienced a flood in the kitchen, and they said an icy chill was felt in the dining room. Other former residents have said they felt a chill passing over them as cold as an iceberg. (laughs) Mm. Uh, Using some colorful language there. 
Um, yeah. In 1977, Second Officer Leonard Bishop of the SS Winterhaven was giving a tour to a man who he figured was a passenger. The British man was very soft-spoken and extremely interested in every detail of the vessel, almost unusually so. Bishop found the man to be a bit strange, but not unpleasant. Years later, when Bishop saw a photo of Captain Smith, he realized why the situation felt so strange. Bishop exclaimed to a friend, I know him. I gave him a tour of my boat. The friend laughed and informed Bishop that the man had been long dead. That man was captain of the Titanic. Oh, wow. Yeah. Now, there, this is interesting, too, and, and I didn't get into the stuff that uh, in Belfast, but there is apparently a lot of activity in and around Belfast regarding the Titanic. But this one... Um, was a sighting of Captain Smith's ghost in a pub in Belfast, Ireland in 2018. It says, Robinson's pub is full to the brim with Titanic memorabilia. A young couple visiting the pub had a romantic picture taken of them when they felt something cold on their backs. After the photo was snapped, they were horrified to discover a spooky face right behind them, which apparently bears a striking resemblance to Captain Smith. Hmm. Yeah. Pretty cool. He's sticking around. Oh, yeah. yeah. I'm sure, you know, that a lot of the crew probably stuck around just due to the the nature of what happened. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, to, uh, to wrap these ghost stories up, th- this one, it, it's a callback to us talking about the likelihood that there are many, many uh, corpses that are still inside the ship, you know, that there, there have, no one has been able to get inside and try to recover remains. So it's, it's a giant watery grave. Now, the wireless station at Cape Race reportedly received echoes of the distress call from the Titanic years later. The QE2, while passing the wreck site in February of 1978, strangely received the Titanic's distress call. They allegedly received a distress call on an old wavelength with the words, Come quick, in distress, boiler room's flooded, ship is sinking. The operator changed to a wavelength and replied, What is the name of your ship? The reply, Titanic. (laughs) Mm. That's crazy. Yep. So they informed the captain on the bridge, and the operator tried to contact the ship again, but to no avail. When the incident was logged, it appeared that the, uh, the Queen Elizabeth II's position was almost the same as the Titanic's when she began to sink all those years earlier. Passengers, passenger and cargo ships passing over the wreck site have reported strange orbs hovering above the water, hearing people shouting for help, an orchestra playing, or the feeling of or sense of dread or unease. 
almost as if you were walking over a mass grave. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, let's wow. be real. So I mean that, and and really, there are so many other stories. The, these were the ones that I felt like were the most interesting and gave you kind of a sense of how widespread this really is. Everywhere from the the site of the wreckage itself to all across the U.S. and 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 the U.K. Um, mm-hmm. There have been reports of paranormal activity that is associated with the Titanic. I don't know that we've ever covered any any kind of specific haunting that was this widespread. No, I mean this. No, that I don't think so. That makes it a very unique story in and of itself. Um, but I mean it. It's it's really easy to see how a tragedy like this, um. And and the number of lives lost could leave that that negative energy that would hang on to those spirits that would replay that distress call, you know that you would you would hear hear those cries for help as you pass over the wreckage in the water, um, mm-hmm. you know I mean it. You just think about something that big happening and. You know, if 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 you do what Adam and I do, you'd be like, "Yep, I bet that's haunted." <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah, I do that stuff all the time. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> so all right, so this is the point in the show where we ask you, "What do you guys think?" Some of you have, have I'm sure, have been to a Titanic exhibit or to one of the museums. Have you experienced anything? Um, like I said, I'm sure there are plenty of stories that I left out. You know, have you got a really cool one that you've heard? You know, something along those lines of, you know, a a former passenger or something that's tied to an artifact or anything like that. Let us know. And the best place to do that is in our Facebook group. It is called The Graveyard. Uh, We got thousands of folks in there that that share personal experiences, jokes. You know, it's just it's a good, safe place you know, to talk about the stuff that we all want to hear, those great ghost stories, those weird things, you know, you can, you can lay them out right there. Everybody just wants to read those stories. You can check out our website, which is graveyardpodcast.com. And there you can find links to purchase Graveyard Tales merchandise. You can listen to the show and you can become a patron. And as I said at the beginning of the show, we have a huge catalog of bonus content for you guys, video, audio, go check it out. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it is, if, if you need a little bit more graveyard tales in your life, this is the best way to get it. Please don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes. It brings us up the chart. It just makes it easier for more people to find the graveyard. And, uh, we, we appreciate everybody that has gone and done that for us. So I think we have, we have come to a close of this, this long Titanic episode. <laughs> yep. I think so. So until next time, we'll save you a seat in the graveyard. See you soon.